Amen to that. Take your Bible or your worship guide. We're going to read together the Word of God as you're standing. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. We continue and we're almost finished with 1 Timothy. I just love the way Paul ends this encouragement to young Timothy. And uh, boy, what a word today. If anyone is under the pile, the old question is, well, what are you doing there? But even more, we can see in the words of Paul to Timothy, young disciple, discouragement, enemies without, enemies within, um, some very encouraging words and pointing him to the ultimate hope and health, help for his soul. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6, follow along, beginning with verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which He will display at the proper time He who is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen nor can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Father, we thank You now for the precious Word that we have been singing. We thank You now for the precious Word that we will be opening up and hopefully by the power of Your Holy Spirit through this study of this particular passage that Paul gave to Timothy and by extension, not just to the church, at Ephesus, but to Heritage Baptist Church, and indeed to each individual here today. I pray for salvation today, for those who have not been brought into that relationship of Christ. And as Paul addresses Timothy, O man of God, I pray that there are some here today who would become a child of God, a man of God, a woman of God. Then I pray for those of us who know you that we would take nothing for granted, you so desire for us to grow in godliness with contentment. You've already told us that, but I pray now that as we wrap up this charge to Timothy that we would see insight into how we are supposed to do that. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for this book. Thank you for this word. And I pray that you would help us to understand it and to apply it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing you can see in our reading a few moments ago, Paul wraps up 
his letter by bringing it again to speak to Timothy, the church at Ephesus, again by extension to you, to me, to the church here at Heritage. And, and here's what he does. He goes back and he describes, I alluded to this, the man or the woman of God. We've already talked about this, so if you haven't been here prior to this message, you may want to go back so you can get the context for what we've been talking about. So Paul has already told Timothy, he's already told us, and he will reiterate what things to flee from. And he'll tell us, again, as a man or a woman of God, and I'm including in that children and, and, and our students, what that man or woman of God is supposed to follow after and what that man or woman of God is to fight for and hold firmly to and to be faithful to, all expressed by the most wonderful statement about the God who saves us and who sustains us. And I hope you notice that wonderful doxology, one of the most beautiful in all of Scripture that has ever been given. So again, this is a, a picture of the reality, listen to me, that God is for you. Did you hear me? God is for you, but He is against your sins because He knows that your sins are against you. And so therefore, He wants you to put off and pursue the things that will enable you to rightly please Him. Now, we're going to say this before, in the middle, and after, and all the way through, that this is a gospel picture. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We do not gain favor with God by anything but grace alone. Our performance, we need to hear this because we're going to be talking again about doing and not doing certain things, but we need to go back to the gospel and remember that our performance in no way either earns or forfeits God's favor. But it's out of that unmerited favor that we have been born again, and those of us who are born again to one degree or another, this is what it looks like to be born again. We desire to live to glorify God. It is the kindness of God our Heavenly Father that causes us to flee and to follow after. Let's, let's, let's look at what Paul says going back because we're at the end. We need to go back to the beginning and realize that Paul has been saying the same thing throughout the book. It is God. It is God who saves us, right? It is God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So out of that, let's look at what he says here in this, almost next to the last, I think. It's close, we're close to the end, but let's look at what he says. Verse 11, but as for you, and, and you know, I had read this and read this and read this, but I passed over it until I finally began to, to ask myself the question, why does he begin with this? He begins with this for a very important reason, and it's so precious, and it's so powerful. And he says to Timothy, and he says to you and to me, but for you, O man of God. 
but for you, O woman of God. And in saying that, he's reminding us of what I said a few moments ago. This is an incredible privilege out of which we live. And we forget this sometimes. I was once not a child of God. And no matter how I lived, I didn't live for Him, but through His grace, I have become a child of God, and so have you. And we need to go back over and over. That's preaching the gospel to ourselves. We need to go back and look at the fact that you and I, if we are in Christ, we are a child of God. Let's go back and and see what John, in another place, remember Scripture is its own best commentator, so let's look in another place and see how precious this is, this reality is that we are children of God. See what kind of love, John says, the Father has given to us. And he could say a lot of things here, but what does he start with? That we should be called the children of God, and so we are. I knew I, I would be preaching this. I was trying to think, okay, how, how can this be really drilled down into our hearts? How do we, how do we get beyond the mundane We've heard so many times that it almost becomes rote. How do I do that? How do I get up tomorrow morning and the first thing that I realize is that I get to be a child of God? What an incredible privilege. Usually we think of duty and yet that's included. But the first thing is that we are a child of God through new, no action of our own other than the faith that was given to us and the repentance that was given to us through Jesus Christ. What an outpouring of God's love. That's the motivation. That's why we run from sin. That's why we pursue Righteousness, as he says here, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Let's move on. I was reading on in that first John passage. Let's read on. Beloved, and look what he says again. He parks whatever we do out of the fact that we are God's children. We are God's children now, O man of God, O woman of God, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears that we will be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Now watch what happens growing out of that. In too too many churches for too many years, somehow some of us, and it probably wasn't bad preaching, it was bad hearing. I used to blame some of my mistakes of my youth on the fact that I didn't hear that in church. And I went back one time and repented because my preacher was probably faithful to preach the Word of God and I was just not faithful to hear. And so I thought I I just got saved and tried to be good. And if I didn't, oh well, not that big a deal. But if you're a man or a woman of God, if you're a child of God, 
and, and you're living out of that and, and His coming. And we will be like Him. And drum roll, please. Out of that, everyone who has this second coming kind of hope does what? And see, that's why I prayed in my prayer. I pray that people would be saved today because there are some of you here who are not in Christ. You have not been saved. You've not been savingly joined to Christ, and you do not have that hope. And so, therefore, the likelihood is that whatever that looks like, you are not purifying himself as he is pure. I was listening to a sermon last week. The guy was in Matthew, and, and he came to that, that wonderful culmination of Jesus preaching to the multitudes, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And as preachers often do, we apologize for the Word of God. This young man, I, I pray for, I really do, fine young man, a lot better preacher than I am. And so he softened it. That word really doesn't mean perfect. It means mature. And I thought to myself, well, what difference does that make? Whether it's perfect or whether I am to be as mature as God is mature, I fail at both counts. Everyone who has a hope, who's a child of God, oh man or woman of God, you are in the process to one degree or another. I shared this morning in our ABF, sanctification is not a straight line. It's not a short line. We wish it were, right? It's not. For the, unless you go home early to be with Jesus, but it is up and down. It, it is hopefully upward, the progress. And later on, Paul's going to describe it as a fight because it is. And, and, and we need to see this. But, but here's the goal. We purify ourselves. Hasn't that been what Paul has been talking about all along in chapter 6? Godliness with contentment, not goodness. We're not after a church full of good people. Because you can be good and not godly. Good people may not be in heaven. Godly people will. And so that's why it's important. Let me just, because I kept on reading, no one born of God because of a change of lifestyle. A child of God acts like a what? What? A child of God, because that's, he's been born again, and all things being equal. Now, that doesn't mean in this life lived out perfection, because again, up and down. Look, no one born of God makes a lifestyle practice of sinning. Why? Here's the whole thing, O man and woman of God, for God's seed abides in him, you can't keep on sinning because you've been born of God. I'm going to personalize that. By this is it, it is evident. Who are the children of God? Who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. That's just a statement of reality, folks. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so that's why last week we hunkered down. We spent some time. You know, I left that message last week feeling like I had really, uh, I don't know. It, 
it felt like a lot of negative because we were talking about what you need to be putting off, fleeing from. And then I read those verses out of 1 John and I thought, no, no, th- th- this is what we want, right? As a child of God, this is what we're after, to put off our old self. Remember the, if, if the, the shoe fits, take it off and then put on the new. Take off the old, put on the new, which is created in the likeness of God. And then we talked about just a couple of areas of if you're living as a lifestyle practice in these areas, again, going back to 1 John, it's, it, it says, by this, the children of God and the children of devil are evident. And we, Paul lists these. I didn't. I kind of put a little salve on my feeling like, oh, I, man, I really beat the people down. No, I didn't. I gave them the word. So the word will always lift up. It, it, might, it, it might rip you up first, but it will lift you up. So here are the works of the flesh that we, we, if you're a child of God, you want desperately to put away. Head of the list, sexual immorality. We talked about that a little bit last week. Not that it's first as the worst. It's just first in the list. If you go down, I'm not going to read the whole list. Are you reading that to yourself? Okay, good. Strife and jealousy and greed, fits of anger. Sexual immorality necessarily worse. They're all deeds of the flesh, dissensions, divisions, envy, orgies, all of these things. And what do we do? We're putting off so that we can put on the new. And so that's what the Apostle Paul says. Look at it in verse 11 again. Have we established that if you're in Christ, you're a man or woman of God, and that is a wonderful compliment. By God's grace, not by what you've done. Are you you getting that? So out of that, what are we supposed to do? Imagery changes a little bit, not put off and put on, but watch this. We flee these things. What things? All the things mentioned here and the things we just talked about. And by the way, that is not a one-time, I ran, that's it. No dipping and dabbing, as a friend of mine used to say. He, he talked about when he'd become a Christian, he saved by grace, but he still kind of liked to go back and dip and dab in his sins. Oh, come out, I'm saved by grace. And he said, that was my life, dipping and dabbing. And I was miserable. Well, sure you are, because you're not living like who you are. It's a, it, it, it's a total disconnect. And so we look at it. I'll give, you two, I'll give you two illustrations, biblical illustrations, so you can understand what it looks like to do this, to flee and pursue righteousness. They're Old Testament illustrations. Does anybody remember the biblical character of Joseph. What do you remember most about Joseph? Kids, what do you remember? Emily, we talked about that, didn't we? What? His coat? Yep, okay. Well, that's good. You know what I remember about Joseph most? Because I'm older. I remember when he got a job working for a guy 
Well, he was actually a slave. He didn't have a choice. And he had tried to be faithful. He was kind of a, I don't, I don't know, maybe an arrogant young man, and he had had his issues and all the rest of that. But he gets a job with a guy named Potiphar, and boy, he really does a good job. He has a good work ethic, and God blesses him. And so he, he pretty much is in charge of the house. And one day when Potiphar is gone, Mrs. Potiphar, come here, give me a little kiss. Well, that's not actually what he, she said. It, it was worse than that. And so what did Joseph do? Hmm. Let, let me think about this. Let me weigh the pros and the cons. If I give in to this temptation, you, you know, I might, I might lose my job. Hmm. You know, if I give in to this temptation, it might ruin my career. It, it, it. But then again, oh, I, I don't know what went through his mind. The only, here's what the scripture says. He ran. He got out of town. He, 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 he went and he did what he was supposed to do and he got in trouble for that because people will lie even about stuff like that. But God blessed him for that. Now, here's, I'm going to give you another biblical example. Here are two guys that really were, they, they had God's heart, they were of God's heart, but unfortunately this, this next one, he didn't do quite as well. His name was King David. And he had the opportunity walking around on that roof, just like you and I have, with any of these other things. See, the sexual immorality was at the top of the list, but it wasn't the only sin. So if we're tempted in all of those sins, here's what he did. He just kind of lingered, and he looked, and he thought, and he brought her into the house, and, well, you know what happened. And here, here's the difference. Joseph, you might want to just remember this. Here's what he finally came up with. Not that his boss would be displeased or that it would look bad on his record or he might get caught, and you always get caught. He looked at God. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? David didn't say that, but what David did, and this, this should be a, a, a hope to those of us who didn't do what Joseph did, but who felt like David did, at least in time he came back and there was a full and complete and observable repentance. But in that repentance, who was the focus on? Against you. You only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. He owned it. And he put it where the grievance was the heart of God. Flee and pursue. Okay, question. How are you doing running from sin? Nobody knows but you and God. Well, maybe somebody else knows. But, but really, this is between you and How are you doing running from sin? Let me give you an encouragement. And that dipping and dabbing has a lot to do with it. And the younger we are, the more we fall into this. We clean up our act 
we do moral things and we stop. We flee, but we don't pursue godliness. Are you following what I'm saying? And there are a lot of people who have done this, and, and Jesus gave an illustration of this. A guy has a, a demon, and I'm not saying you had a demon because you fell into sin, but th this is an illustration. So what did he do? He didn't want it. Swept out his house, and it was clean. The demon goes around, this is interesting, into waterless places. And then he looks and says, where do I go? Oh, I know where I'll go. I'll go back to my original house. And he goes back. He finds it empty, swept, and put in order. And what does he do? Here is what, what Jesus is saying to every one of us who thinks we can clean up our act and flee without pursuing godliness. Nature abhors a vacuum, an empty space. So the demon went and got seven other demons, worse and, and the last condition was a lot worse than the first. So don't only get rid of, but pursue and put on. And we've been studying in our ABF class, Second Peter. This is a picture. If they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then are entangled by them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. So, that's verse 11. Ready to go to verse 12? Really? As for you, O man of God, this is, this is Paul's final he, parting. Well, he's going to write 2 Timothy. But at least in this letter, I, I got to give, give Timothy the, the stuff that will keep him going. So, he's given it to us. So, man of God, woman of God, flee these things. That's a reminder. Pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Second thing he says is fight the good fight of the faith. This is more than running the race. This is not, this, this metaphor is not of an athletic contest. Paul uses those, run the race that has been set before you. We'll look at a verse like that. But this is fighting the fight. And he, this is not the only time he says it. Back when he first started out his letter to Timothy, this charge I entrust to you, O Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may what? Wage the good warfare. And then he comes to the end of his own life and he says, I have done what? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, a mixture of those metaphors. I have kept the faith. That's the most important thing. And then he comes back to 2 Timothy 2.3. And again, this military fighting, hand-to-hand -hand combat. That's the picture. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And who is this battle? Listen, who is this battle primarily with? Not the person sitting next to you. Not a person in your family, extended family. Not a person at work. Not a person at church. Boy, I thank God for heritage. But I've been in churches where there were some... Do you remember our study in Nehemiah? 
Do you remember they were busy doing what they were called to do, their commission, rebuild the temple? And there was Sanballat, Tobiah, Shemaiah, enemies from outside and, and inside, and they came against them. They wanted to discourage them. I, I thank God that there, there is a minimum of that that I can tell in our church. But I remind myself that my fight is not primarily, even if I have some sin ballots and Tobias and all the rest of that, even if you do, traitors in your life, even if you have that, your fight is not primarily against flesh and blood. Your fight is primarily against spiritual forces. The devil, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, and it's also against your own flesh. Romans, let me go back to that, Romans 6, 13. I, I love this verse, and I even put in this, this word here that we normally see like in the, the ESV or the, the New American Standard. It's translated as instruments, and, and here's, here, here's another picture of putting off and putting on. Do not present your members. That's all of you, your hands, your feet, your mouths, your mind, uh, your heart. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That's kind of benign. That word is also translated in the New Testament as weapons. Because again, if you're not careful, your members can become a weapon against you. So he says, do not do that. Don't present them to sin, but present yourselves to God as those who have been, here it is, O man or woman of God, brought from death to life. Now watch this. When we take captive our thoughts, when we present them to Christ, and we present the members of our bodies to Christ, this is not little, a little song that might be okay for three-year-olds. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. You're presenting your eyes as weapons of righteousness. I was thinking this morning, wow, I got an AR-15. On one hand, I, I'm presenting my, do, do you get what I'm saying? A weapon. Think of a weapon. A 10-inch long bowie knife. Weapons of righteousness for the destruction of evil thoughts and the tearing down of strongholds. Fight the good fight of the faith. Well, how in the world is a fight good? You're saying a fight's not good, a fight's bad, a fight's not fun. I might get a bloody nose. Or worse. Paul is saying the word good here means noble. You got to see this. When he says for you, O man or woman of God, hey, listen, students, when you're fighting the good fight, it doesn't mean it's fun. It means it's worth it. Fight the good fight of the faith. Let me, let me just tell you some thoughts that I had this week. It may not be fun. In fact, it may be a fight 
for you to get up early, and that means going to bed earlier tonight so that you can get up earlier tomorrow to read your Bible and pray before school. It may be a fight, but it's worth it. It may not be fun when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and you listen and you repent, but it's worth it. It may not be fun for you, and I said this a moment ago, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow Him and put on godliness with contentment. It's just worth it. And so he says, fight the good fight of the faith. J.R.R. Tolkien had a classic book that was made into movies. My guess is that many of you have seen these movies, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And at the last part of the second movie, one of the greatest speeches ever was when the hero, really, in watching those movies, who was the real hero? It was Sam. I, really, it was Sam. And this scene shows it. It's right at the last, right at the last of the two towers, and Frodo is ready to give up. He's ready to throw in the towel. He has had it. And he says to Sam, I can't do this, Sam. Have any of you in life ever been there? I'm talking about with your Christian life and a relationship. or what I can't do this. And Sam steps up. And I'm going to abbreviate the actual words of Tolkien in that. But he gives Frodo a speech. He says, it's like in the great stories. Full of darkness and danger they were. I can't do the English accent. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back. Only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. And then he pauses and Frodo says, What are we holding on to, Sam? Man. What a question that we need to ask ourselves. In fighting the fight, and you're about ready to throw in the towel, and I'm talking about primarily spiritually, what are you holding on to? Paul tells Timothy what to hold on to. Look at it. And, and by the way, in, in a moment of, oh my goodness, and Tolkien wrote this, it was a statement of absolute humanism. We're fighting because there's still some good in the world. That's it. I thought, oh, Saruman wasn't good. The orcs weren't good. That's, that's humanistic. It's good and it's rousing. It's a good speech but here's what Paul, to, Paul told Timothy, when you're just about ready to quit and throw in the towel 
and stop fighting the fight of the faith, look what he says next. Take hold. What do we take hold of? Sam, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This doesn't mean that Timothy needs to be saved. He didn't. Here's what it means, basically. Timothy, you've got the gospel. Don't forget it. Take hold of that for which you were taken hold. Take hold of the one who took hold of you. Preach the gospel to yourself every day, and particularly when you are like Frodo, and you've got your commission, and maybe you have hit a wall or experienced a defeat or whatever the case may be, take hold of the gospel. That's what he says, the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And that's why I, I, you know what, I did not learn this phraseology. It's been around for a long time until I came here begin to, to, to look and read people like Jerry Bridges and other people like that. And I realize I need to preach the gospel to myself every day. And on Sunday afternoons when I go home and I beat myself up and say, I never want to preach again. I'm so lousy at it and I can't, Lord, get somebody else to do this. And I need to preach the gospel to myself because here's what he says at the last, verse 13. You hold on to the gospel, Timothy, and I charge you. Wow. In the presence of God. And just remember, Timothy, you feel like you're dead? Hmm. God has resurrection power who gives life to all things. And of Christ Jesus, his testimony that he is the life before Pontius Pilate, that he is the truth, he made the good confession to keep the commandment. Which commandment? What he's saying is, I'm charging you. I'm commanding you. Now, Timothy, listen to me. This, this is for you. This is for me. He's talking about the commission that you received when you believed in Jesus. Well, I didn't, I didn't get it. Yeah, you did get a commission to put off, to put on to do that in every relationship of life. You received a commission as a husband, as a, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a grandfather. You received a commission as a student, as an athlete, as a musician, a dancer, what, whatever the case may be. You have received a commission. Retired people, do you know you still have a commission till the Lord comes back? Hold on to the gospel. And I charge you, Timothy, and for the rest of us at Heritage, you keep your commission. And keep it with integrity and keep it with purity. He said it unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So until you die or until you go to be with Jesus that's how long we need to keep the commission. It's going to be a fight. 
in the Greek races. Paul had the Greek races in mind a lot. The Greek races, there was one race where the winner was not the one who crossed the finish line first. I love this. It was the one who finished, who crossed the finish line with his torch still lit. Can I do that? You don't know what I'm up against, Pastor. God does. And He gave us the commission to keep the torch lit. How do you do that? The gospel. You hold on. Don't let go of the gospel. Don't let the enemies pry the gospel away from you. You keep hanging on to the gospel, and then in one of the most beautiful, listen, folks, this is one of the most beautiful doxologies. We sing the modern doxology, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. This doxology, remember Paul started the letter with a doxology, but what does he do when he says, I want you to hold on, I want you to complete the commission, I don't want your torch to go out, who does he point him to? Points him to God. It's our only hope. So let's just read through this and be pointed to God as the one who will, if you look to him, he'll help you keep your torch lit until you finish the race and cross the line. We look to the one who's the blessed and only sovereign. I love this. John Piper says, this is interesting to think about, God is always happy, not giddy happy, He's happy, He's blessed. How could He not be? How can you not be blessed and happy when everything you plan happens the way it's supposed to? So Paul wants to remember the blessed and only sovereign. He's never cranky. He never, I'm talking about God. He never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. He's never in a bad mood. Somehow we need to remember that. And God never, ever, listen to this, some of you, God never, ever makes a mistake. We can trust Him because He is the blessed and the sovereign God. He's also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you fear sometimes what is going to happen in our government and the governments of the world and things that are given to us that we have to do or have to not do? And Are you fearful of that for your children? Listen, He is the King of kings. You look to Him. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you don't need to have anxiety about powerful people or unworkable, seemingly unworkable situations in your life. He is king over every government and over every circumstance. Not only that, he's the only one possessing immortality. That means he can keep you in this life and in death because he alone possesses immortality. You don't, but he does. That's why non-Christian, 
The safest place you could be is in Christ. He possesses immortality. You will live forever, but will you live for Christ? Only if you are in Him. And that's why every believer can face confidently the moment of our death. The words of the song that says, it is not death to die. And then he says, look to the one dwelling in unapproachable light whom no human being has ever seen or is able to see, and we wring our hands, well, then we're in trouble, aren't we? No, because He has revealed Himself in the one that we can see, in the one that we can feel, the one that we can touch, even the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son and our Savior. And then He wraps it up by saying to Him, whom be the honor and eternal dominion, amen. He is the one to whom you look for strength, Christian, so that you can cross that finish line with your torch lit. But non-Christian, you need to get your torch lit to be able to fight the fight, run the race, finish the race. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, God made you. He made you to glorify Him, to be His image bearer. But that image was shattered in Adam and we inherited that sin nature and wow, we're born into sin and then we grow up enough to realize we're a mess. And if we really are honest when we see that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, there's no way we could get to heaven and we deserve hell. Fire and Gloomy darkness for an eternity. That's what we deserve, and there's really nothing we can do about it. But what we can't do, God has done. He gave His Son. Not to be an example, but to die on Calvary's cross as the perfect man. And He was. And He died on the cross as a substitution, not as an example, as a substitution, He died in our place so that we might receive the righteousness of Christ, be forgiven of our sins, which puts us as zero, and then to give us His own righteousness, which really puts us over the top in our relationship with God. And, and how, do you, how do you acquire that? It's belief, two sides of the same coin, repentance and faith. Turn away from the old. Turn away from fighting God. Non-Christians, some of you have been fighting God. How do you fight the creator of the universe? Well, you don't. You don't win. So just stop fighting and quit playing like you're God. And repent and believe. And you will be ushered into a life. Your torch will be lit. And you can begin that road of taking off and putting on, walking in godliness with contentment because that's what God wants for us until either we die or go to be with Him. Father, uh, Your Word is so wonderful, so powerful, and um, even as we dig into it and try to understand it better. Oh, I feel sometimes that we're just skimming the surface, but Lord, you know, 
that we have presented today what is your truth, your word to the best of our ability in song and in praying and in the preaching. And only you, by the power of your Holy Spirit now, can take your word, drive it into hearts, and affect change. And so, as Paul told Timothy to do, we, we look to you, we fight the fight of faith, and we take hold of the eternal life. I pray that those who have heard the gospel today would take hold of the eternal life. I pray that those of us who know you would preach that gospel to ourselves today and for the rest of our lives. So I thank you for this. What a great privilege it is to serve here in this precious church with these precious people. I pray now as we close out this time and worship you that it'll be pleasing in your sight because we are in your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray this in His name. Amen.